So if we want God to come back, we bring heaven here. We start actually exemplifying justice and equality on this earth. I mean, so much, I'm, I'm, I've been going through the Gospels right now, I'm in Luke, but so much I'm reminded when I read Jesus, I'm like, so much of this is him overthrowing the hierarchy. It, it, I mean, so many times that's his message is, you know, the last shall be first. It's really just overthrowing the hierarchy. And I, this, it blows my mind because scripture, there has never been a generation more prime for scripture, I think, than this generation. Hmm. They just have to read it and have people explain it to them in a lens and language by which they understand and see how relevant it is. I mean, just go through the prophets, right? Who are constantly speaking truth to power. There is no doubt that the world has permanently changed as a result of the coronavirus pandemic that has engulfed the world. Many are comparing the shock we are experiencing now to the bombing of Pearl Harbor over 75 years ago. Of course, every generation has a pivotal moment that defines them, and for Generation Z, this is it. Not surprising then, they are currently having the least challenge adapting to the new social distancing recommendations and digital reality that we have all been thrown into against our will. What for many years was thought to be a hobby has now become a necessity for all of us. So who better to lead the church out of the current trial than the only generation in existence that has grown up natively digital? But if Generation Z is going to lead the church to reach the world with the gospel, they're going to need the support and mentorship of the older generations. In this episode, I had the privilege to interview Dr. Heather Thompson Day to discuss these dynamics in greater detail. For those of you who don't know, Heather is an interdenominational speaker and contributor for the Religion News Service, Newsweek, and the Barna Group. She is also an associate professor of communication at Colorado Christian University, and she is passionate about supporting women and runs an online community called I'm That Wife which has over 100,000 followers and most recently has written a book called Confessions of a Christian Wife. Now, I recorded this interview with her before the pandemic began, but the issues that we discussed, I think, are very relevant for what we're going through today. And so I started the interview by asking her about the prevailing picture of God that she runs into most with Generation Z that she interacts with on a regular basis. And here's the thing, most of our pictures are based on our parents' pictures, right? So even when it comes politically or ideologically or theologically, you will never move more than two steps outside of what your parents believed. Um, So the picture that young people have today is very much what was handed down to them by their parents and then their parents, right? And I think the only difference is that this generation is starting to be like, hey, I don't like this picture. And I'm going to be honest and authentic and say, I don't like this picture and I don't know if this is for me. Um, 72% of Christians see God as angry, as authoritarian, as distant, and as somebody who's, you know, ready to hell, fire, wrath, fury. 72% of Christians, right? So that's the majority of us. And that picture is the picture that has been handed down to a generation that is, I think, being not afraid to challenge the picture Mm -hmm. and not afraid to be vocal about it. Keep in mind, 
that while of course we're seeing like uh, numbers in Christianity decline, we still, it's like 82% of people believe in a higher power. So this generation still believes, yeah, there's probably an intelligent designer. There is probably a God, but they are rejecting really. And I think this is a very crucial distinction for all people in the church. Young people are not rejecting God necessarily. They are rejecting your church. And to me, that is a totally different conversation because the church likes to hide behind the blanket of God and say, oh, but they're just not holy enough. They're rejecting us. No, they're not rejecting him. They're rejecting you. And so then let's have a conversation about what is happening in our churches that is making young people feel like this isn't a, this isn't a safe space for me. This isn't actually growing me um, spiritually. So why do I need it? I, I think this is a generation that is actually asking questions like, why? Why do I need this? Yeah, and that's really important. I think that's um, really a startling statistic. Number one, um, that that number is that high. I actually didn't realize that. Um, and and number two, just the idea that you know what they're rejecting is um, the the actual incarnation of the the church in in the form of of us. You know, as form as as those yeah. of us who are in the church. You know, and and so because. And especially if their picture of God is um, a little bit skewed, um, then, you know, you don't have that to necessarily balance out. Well, you know, you know, the, the Bible says this and, and yet, you know, I may be saying this in the church, but it's just because we're all sinners. But the reality is, is, is if if that is the prevailing understanding that God is is very stern or that, you know, he's judging all the time. Um, you know, that, that also just adds to the, the mix when, when they're having a bad experience with church people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me say this too, because we hear this a lot where people say, yeah, but the church is just made up of sinners and we're all sinners. That is true. However, we know I'm, I'm a writer for the Barna group, right? So I love going into a lot of this research. We know that evangelical communities are far behind the rest of America when it comes to social justice issues that are very important to this generation, right? So, and I, I, I might get these numbers off a little bit, but it's like when it comes to even just um, women working, it's like 77% of um, Americans say that there's no problem with that. Well, only 51% of evangelicals say that there's no problem with that, right? So we see these gaps of, when it comes to race, 1000 percent evangelicals are the largest community to say that there is that black people don't have a different experience in this country they're they're they are more likely to say that than secular people and so this generation is stepping back and they're saying what's going on there's something there's some type of disconnect here when it comes to these issues of actual humanity and equality and valuing one another that the church seems to be struggling with and the rest of the world isn't struggling with quite as much. And so I think these are valid questions that we need to challenge ourselves with. And then it becomes more important to me for people like you to be doing podcasts and Christians to be active online and social media so that, because I'm telling you, I sit at lunches with young people who say, I didn't realize that there was a different way of viewing the church until I saw your Twitter. Mm. Like it matters. And wow. I know that I, I'll have all these people that are like, oh, you're like this, you know, this, um, this keyboard warrior, this doesn't matter. Go do something in real life. Well, this is where the majority of people are congregating. And I have had over and over young people say that because of some 
saw online because of a podcast that they listened to, because of a YouTube video that they watched, they realized that they weren't alone in questioning the picture that was presented to them. And so then it made them wonder, maybe there is still a space for me here. We need them to be thinking that there's a space for them here. And so representation is so important. Yeah. And, and that's what I was going to kind of move it. You kind of got into that a little bit. So, so, you know, when it comes to their, the picture of God, number one, that is, is a, a little bit skewed in the sense it's probably over, um, emphasizing the, the judgmental side or the sternness of God. Um, and then you combine that with, um, the lack of social awareness, um, or, you know, a social interest that most of the church, um, as you, as you mentioned, is either in denial of, or just, just plainly just thinks it's not, doesn't apply to them. So you combine those two things together. How does, how does that create a barrier to, to receiving the gospel, you know, because the gospel itself is beautiful, right? But then, you know, we talk about these um, stumbling blocks, right, that that prevent people from being able to to clearly grasp it. And uh, and so, what what are you know? How do these things, uh, you know, affect the the ability even to understand the gospel? Yeah, I think that there is, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on about how there is a definite need in Christianity for, you know, lay members, for everyday people to know their word. This is, I, I, I intentionally am not serving in a pastoral capacity because I want young people to understand that you don't have to be a pastor to take to take a role in in leadership and ministry, like stop waiting for your pastor to save your friends. Who is better positioned to have a conversation with your friends about who God is than you? And and so I'm really passionate about this, about the priesthood of all believers, about everybody taking up their cross and trying to, you know, make their mark in Christianity and have real authentic conversations that matter with people. Because I think, Again, like it is going to be so much more crucial and beneficial for young people to hear who Jesus is from somebody who looks and talks just like them, as opposed to somebody who is, you know, just feels like more distant or perfect or righteous than I could ever be because I see them on a platform. I mean, we need to all be having these real conversations. And and that's why I think there's a personal responsibility for each person to read their Bible. I read a quote by J.I. Packer. I don't know, I read it probably eight years ago and it said, any Christian worth his salt or her salt will read the Bible cover to cover every single year. And I read that and I was like, I like that makes sense to me. And so I started reading my Bible cover to cover every single year. And it's important. And I, I it shocks me sometimes how few Christians are engaging with the word themselves. Um, and so I just, I, I think that that's probably the first step in how do we, how do we better show this picture? We read the word for ourselves. We allow the Holy Spirit to reach us for ourselves. And we have, we set time to have a real relationship, authentic relationship with God for myself, right? Mm. And stop waiting for somebody else to fill the gap that perhaps God has called you to fill. Right. And even somebody maybe who's listening, who is like, well, I mean, I don't really have anybody to, (laughs) to, you know, I'm, I'm searching, but, but, you're you're saying too that look the word of god is the is the the um primary source material right so so whether we are a christian or we're seeking you know instead of um 
you know, looking at what is happening around us, um, the, the true lens of interpretation to, to help us um, see things properly would be getting, getting back into the Word of God. And, and so, you know, since, since you kind of were talking about that, I think it's an important conversation to kind of move toward a little bit here. What, you know, with the prevalent um, availability of the, of the, the Bible, um, you know, and, and just the, 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 the fact that most young people are connected to some sort of media all, all the time, um, you know, how, how does people's media consumption um, affect, you know, their openness and willingness to read the Bible? Mm. Um, so there's this study um, and they wanted to see how it was like subliminal messaging affects the brain. And so they showed people like a three minute video clip. And in that three minute video clip, they flashed at, I believe it's like three tenths of a second, a picture. And then they gave people a survey and then they wanted to see if this, the picture that was flashed to you subliminally. So your brain registered it, but you didn't even consciously, you weren't consciously aware that you had even seen it because it was three tenths of a second. Did that affect how you viewed yourself? So they flash a picture of a of Albert Einstein, and then they flash a picture of a clown. People who saw Albert Einstein rated themselves as less intelligent. People who saw a clown rated themselves as more intelligent. They flash a picture of an unattractive person and an attractive person. If you saw the attractive person, you felt like you were less attractive. If you saw an unattractive person, you felt like you were more attractive. They flashed a picture of a baby and an elderly person. If you saw the elderly person, you felt like you were younger. If you saw a baby, you felt like you were older. These changes exist at three-tenths of a second. Wow. Right. So I say to young people all the time, like, you are kidding me if you think the movies that you're watching, the YouTube videos that you're watching, the porn that you're watching is not affecting how you see yourself and how you see other people. Three tenths of a second affects how I see myself. Right. Right. Of course, something that I sit back and consume for hours on end, the music that I'm listening to absolutely affects my my availability and my ability to fully be connected in the spiritual way that even I'm seeking towards. So and I think that's I mean, this is like classic, um, basic everybody, when you first become a Christian, it's like the first thing you do, you go and you break all your secular CDs. A lot of people do that, right? You throw all your music out. Um, but there's some validity to that. There's some validity to saying, wait, hold on. Let me try to detox from any message that I think is actually going to be hindering my my brain from experiencing the connection that I'm seeking to experience, right? I've had to do that. I've There's, I mean, so many reality TV shows that I loved to watch and I I mean, just the other day I wanted to, I'm not even going to say the show, but I wanted to watch a new season of something that everybody's talking about on Twitter. And I was like, you know, it's not good for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like my brain doesn't need that. And and I could be hindering the very connection that I keep saying to everybody that I'm, that I'm seeking by taking an hour of my time and watching the show on Netflix. So yeah, you have to be intentional and make conscious choices about your consumption. Yeah. And I think, um, the the idea then is if 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 we are kind of if that's kind of like the junk food um then it it just doesn't make us hungry for the the healthy food how do how do how do they get to that point where they're willing to to try to to change their diet you know of their of their consumption of what they're reading um you know if that's been something that you know they haven't done it seems like you know for me like if i'm trying to eat healthier like i just started doing some intermittent fasting you know it's it's not necessarily an easy thing to to change and i've also tried to um 
you know, cut out um, sugar out of my, all the everything that I drink. And, and so these are just little changes, but but they're not they're not easy necessarily right away. And, and so I would think it's it's similar with with uh, changing your media consumption, right? Because we we do need to to get in into the word, but um, you know, what do you say to people that say, "Oh man, I I just can't get into it." The first thing that I would say is find a partner. We we aren't meant to exp- to go through life alone. We aren't meant to. Um, make drastic changes outside of community. Like so much, everything that is hard for you to do by yourself, I promise you will be 10 times easier if you have somebody walking this journey with you. When I was, when I wanted to start reading my Bible again, I was working at a summer camp, not again, for the first time. I mean, I, I had always just opened it and like read a Psalms or whatever people do when you're having worship. And, but when I decided I wanted to read it cover to cover, I had a group of people that made that commitment with me. I don't know if any of them even stuck with it. But just the fact that I had started with this group, I think it takes like 44 days for your brain to form a new habit. You really need somebody to walk you through that journey, I think for all of life, but even just for those 44 days until your brain starts making it like a natural instinct and habit. Something that I do too is I have made a commitment to myself that I will not check social media until I've checked in with God first. Mm. So I have worship before I ever check a notification on my phone. And that has change so much for me because you better believe I'm not going to miss Twitter today. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I know I can't get on Twitter until I've had worship, I, it made me have worship. And now it's a habit where I feel very, if there's ever a day that like, for whatever reason, I didn't get to it, something with the kids, I feel very uneasy and uncomfortable leaving my house without having worship. It's very rare that I'll do that. Um, just because it's such a habit for me now to get into. So you're already addicted to your phone. Why not let that work for you and try to supplement that addiction with an addiction to having time and spending time with God? So that's what I do. I just tell myself I'm not going there until I spend time with God first. And if I don't spend time with God first, I won't check my phone until nighttime when I get time. And it's really funny because people are always like, I just don't have time. You had time to scroll Twitter for 15 minutes in your bed. Like, come on. We have time for what we want to have time for. It definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's something that, you know, we're trying to do at my church. We we have the time to do it. It's just a matter of number one, making a priority and number two, you know, having someone to support you and then just, yeah, just doing it until it becomes, you know, a part of, of, of who we are. And, and as we do that, you know, I think, you know, specifically, you know, coming from an Adventist perspective, um, you know, getting into the word of God, it, you immediately are confronted with, just the reality that this world is crazy, right? Like this world is not um, the way that God originally made it. And that, you know, ultimately the the hope that you get as you read through the scriptures is that, you know, Jesus is coming again. And, and so, you know, kind of moving back to just you, like what you were saying before about, um, you know, social justice issues becoming more and more important for um, younger generations, um, how do we how do we balance that with the reality of the soon coming? You know, because um, you know they they really aren't necessarily disconnected with one another. No, I think that they're absolutely connected. I think um, God, you know, I think David Asher is the one who first said this, but um, God is not waiting for the for the world to get more godless. The world is godless. He's waiting on the church to get more godly. So if we want God to come back, we bring heaven here. We start actually exemplifying 
justice and equality on this earth. I mean, so much I'm, I'm, I've been going through the gospels right now. I'm in Luke, but so much I'm reminded when I read Jesus, I'm like, so much of this is him overthrowing the hierarchy. It, it, I mean, so many times that's his message is, you know, the last shall be first. It's really just overthrowing the hierarchy. And I, this, it blows my mind because scripture, there has never been a generation more prime for scripture, I think, than this generation. Hmm. They just have to read it and have people explain it to them in a lens and language by which they understand and see how relevant it is. I mean, just go through the prophets, right? Who are constantly speaking truth to power. This generation, (laughs) we love that. We love this idea that like an everyday person, you know, think of the Hunger Games, like this everyday person can become a hero Mm -hmm. by speaking truth to power. And we see that over and over and over in scripture. I was just, I just went through the story in Luke of John the Baptist, right? And he's not cozying up to Herod. He's not looking for, oh, how many followers is this going to give me now that I get to be in the palace? Like he literally gets to go to Herod and say, you are in the wrong, repent for having your brother's wife. And then he's beheaded. Like these, these are real people who didn't just like justice wasn't this metaphorical Twitter bio that they put. These were people who were willing to live it out and die for it. And to me, that's encouraging and it's inspiring. And I think young people, as you present it to them. And Ty Gibson is really, really good at doing this, at presenting the social justice gospel to them in a way that young people just, they see scripture with totally new eyes. Mm. And, and so like that, that's, that's important because I, I sometimes wonder, you know, when we, you know, you seem to like these two extremes, right? You have one side that, that only wants to talk about the future and, and is like kind of, indifferent to to the needs of, of yes. the present and then you have the other side that sometimes says well what only matters is what's happening now and uh you know you know i don't we shouldn't talk about the future so much so yeah i i see that kind of that that polarization i don't know if it's a polarization but it's definitely um two two poles um that that exist and, and so you know my passion is trying to bring those two together because like you were just saying mm-hmm. um you know, there, there is not uh, a disconnect, you know, if we are caring for the, um, th- those who are in need around us, you know, we are um, exemplifying the life of Christ. And in doing that, you know, that is um, a part of, of spreading the gospel. But at the same time, you know, it, you also mentioned the, the whole idea of, of speaking truth, right? And, and, and being willing to talk about things that aren't necessarily, uh, popular <laughs> or at least mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that people want to hear about um, and, and so really they, they do go together but but I how do we you know make that more of a of a thing where we can where we can see that those two sides working together more um, yeah I think we we just believe it for ourselves I say this all the time but Christianity has I think a fundamental flaw and problem in the fact that we say that we believe God is coming back soon, we say that we believe that there is a God, we say that we believe that the covenant is love, and yet I don't know how many of us really believe it, right? Mm. Eighty Is it like 82% of Christians never invite somebody to church in a given year? But I believe it. Yeah, yeah. I believe that God is coming back soon, and so I'm not telling anybody about him, and I'm not inviting anybody 
to the very community and space, hopefully, that is having that same thought process as me. I'm like, what are we doing? It doesn't make any sense. We believe it. And, that, and that's why I say all the time, you, you praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your worship of me is merely based on human rules you have been taught. And I think that there, not that there isn't like genuine Christians in Christianity, but there's something wrong if 82% of us are never inviting anyone to church. And then likewise, this is talk about Gen Z. This generation is the most likely generation of all generations to say, I would go to church if somebody invited me. Hmm. That's it. How do we get them? We ask them. Right. All these things we put into outreach and evangelism efforts, it's like how many of us are just actually developing real relationships with people that we work with, right? And again, we can't put that on the pastor. This is something that I, as a member, if I'm working in a space that is not, you know, filled with people who believe like I believe, what conversations am I having? How am I representing God in a way that it's attractive? Because I believe God is attractive, where other people want to be a part of this. What are we doing? You know? Yeah, no, I I agree 100%. And I think it, it, it is, I mean, as a pastor, um, but this is just human nature. I mean, in terms of this whole idea of, of, of ascending and, and believing something in our minds, but not necessarily um, following through in how we live our life. And and I think that, um, you know, the, the challenge that, that seems to, to always come up is is these distractions, right? These, these, these mis, misprioritizations that that, um, you know, we say one thing, but the, our true priorities lie in a different place. And so I think a lot of times we don't even know our own hearts. Like we, mm. we think we do, but um, the reality, like you just said, if we, if we really looked at what we did and not so much about what we said or what we say we believe, um, you know, there, that would where, that's where our true values um, are, are exemplified. And, and so, you know, <laughs> I just, you know, when I, when I look around and, and I, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is it that is going to, to change? And, and to me, it just goes back to like, you're like, you were just saying like young people, like it, it's going to have, like, I don't think the older generation is capable of leading this change, like this revolution. I, I really believe, um, that it, it's going to be a youth driven movement that, that, that brings the church alive. And and so since you're interacting with that age group, I mean, why is it that they would like, for instance, you just mentioned they would be most receptive to coming to church. What do you see about young people today that you, that makes them ripe for kind of um, really uh, running with this, with this message, with, with the gospel and, and, and going out and, and actually doing what it says? Oh, I'm so excited to ask this question because I love talking about this with people. But I just want to say first that, the, that there is something for the older generation to do, and that is to mentor this generation. It is, I can't tell you how many people in this generation, I, I've never, I've been teaching for 10 years, and it's been probably the last three. So I think it's really specific to Gen Z where they are seeking actively mentorship. I have students, if, if I showed you my calendar I go to lunch with a student who asked me, can I, can we go to lunch? Can I have a conversation with you? I want to talk to you about my, my faith or my career or whatever. I mean, twice a week, I have students, different students that I go to lunch with twice, probably 30, 40 students every semester. 
That tells me that there is something unique to this generation where they are craving leadership and mentorship and somebody who has walked this journey who can give me advice about how I walk this journey. So absolutely, this is going to be a community effort that both the young and old can grasp hands on. But what I tell my people all the time, my, my students, because all they ever hear is negative things about themselves. You guys are the me center generation. You guys aren't respectful. Um, you guys don't care about anybody. You're, you know, of course, disrespectful. We hear that all the time. And I'm like, but what generation do you think it's going to take? What generation do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were? To mm-hmm. say to Nebuchadnezzar, literally in scripture says this, and I think it's interesting. It doesn't, everybody else says King Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say Nebuchadnezzar. They don't even call him king, right? So they take off the title totally disrespectful and say, Nebuchadnezzar, like we will not bow down. We're not going to do it. When I watch and take out the politics out of it, right? When I watch these um, Stoneman Marjorie Douglas students on national television, challenging their senators and congressmen about gun reform, I said, whoa, like this, these are 17 year old kids looking into some of the faces of the most powerful people in our country and saying, I'm not like my friends are dying. Something has to change. I believe in this. Mm. And to me, I see that, forget the politics of it. I see that and I say, oh my goodness, like we have a generation who is not afraid. If they believe that it's right, they are not afraid to speak truth to power. And they don't believe that they need a title because this is the thing, like we have an entire participatory culture. I can get online and say whatever I want to whoever I want. And I don't need a degree to do that. I don't need a special title to do that. This is how this generation was raised. Whereas, you know, some boomers, it's, it's very, it's ingrained in you that if you don't have a special title or um, leadership position, like you just shouldn't be talking about that because nobody cares what you think. And of course that's not true, but a lot of them, like they just believe that about themselves. We have an entire generation of young people who believe and are we're told their whole lives that you are special, that you're going to make a difference. So don't be surprised when they start going out there and actually trying to make a difference and believing that there's something unique over their lives. I think we need a gen- Your anointing begins the day you believe you have one. Hmm. You have everybody. God has a calling on every single one of us. There's a priesthood of all believers. Go out there, figure out what it is for you. And it might look very different than what it is for me. Right. And I tell people, my students all the time, look at the gaps that you experience in your own life. Mm. Those gaps, I believe, are often the same gaps that you are uniquely called to fill because you know that they exist. Nobody showed up for you in that space. How do you now take everything that you've learned and go show up for other people who are in the same space that you once felt totally alone in. Yeah. And I like that because, um, you know, I think the, whether, what you, like you said, it doesn't matter how old you are, you know, we can all be challenged and, and take this, um, you know, and, and, and be the change that, that we're looking for to see in, in the church and, and in, in the world and in our community. Um, but, but just that concept of, of, uh, right. Like, my voice matters. I mean, that that's something that I had never really thought about before um, because they have a platform. You know, they have grown up with whatever their preference so social media app is. Um, you know, they've been able to to feel like, hey, I can I can use this as a way of, of expressing and, and it gets out there. And no no other generation has literally like grown no. up with that power. And mm-hmm. and. And it is power because you see things happening um, 
very quickly, you know, and, and there's this kind of, um, you know, when, when someone hits a nerve, you know, it's like everybody's like, yes. And, and, and it doesn't matter who that person is. It could be anybody that, yeah. that starts that kind of wave of, of, of thought. And if we can see that happening socially, why couldn't it happen spiritually, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? Like if, if these waves of, of enthusiasm around social issues can exist, um, you know, then, then how much more powerful when we, we combine that passion with the gospel and with the Holy Spirit? That is 1000% what I'm saying. There's a concept, there's a book, it's called New Power. I'm actually assigning it to my students this semester, but the entire concept behind New Power is that the, not that old power systems don't work anymore, but what do we do with this entirely new power system, which essentially says the strongest, most powerful movements today are grassroots movements where everybody feels ownership and everybody feels involved, right? Right. We saw Me Too take over in a matter of days on social media because all of these women started sharing their stories totally separate, but yet collectively joining forces and saying like, no, this is my story. Me too. This happened to me too. And all of a sudden you have an entire movement, right? Even though Toronto Burke had been working on this movement for years and years before that, by herself, all of a sudden, everybody starts to buy into this experience overnight. And now you have a movement. We, we see it in so many different business models. I mean, look at social media, look at Uber, look at Uber Eats, like all these different businesses that thrive based on grassroots people, effort and initiative. And that's, I, I think we have, I, I know I, I repeat myself, but we have to stop waiting for like, I don't know, for like the church singularly to do something right like we have to allow people to feel ownership of their faith and start a new power movement which is not centered around a single person and that's i've I've talked about this a lot but that's my only issue with these these mega churches and i i have no problem with mega churches but my issue is it's not a movement unless it can move without you it has to be able to move without you. That's what new power is all about, is something that isn't centered around a one person. It's centered on a collective idea. We saw this with Martin Luther King Jr. There's a collective idea that you believe what I believe. And how do we, I'm not going to rest until I show the entire world this new belief system and why it matters. And that for some reason, we are disconnecting right now um, with hmm. with the church. And, that, and I think it's young people that are going to be the ones that, that can do that. Yeah. And man, what you're just talking, it just hit me, you know, that, I mean, just, I mean, if you just take the Advent movement, for instance, um, it was all about belief. I mean, it was not about anything other than belief that, that, that created, you know, and then everything else kind of happened as a result of that. And then, um, you know, now we have an institution, um, that, you know, requires money, and there's all the politics that go along with that. And you could apply that to any other, you know, church uh, um, tradition that 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 exists. I mean, you see this happening in the Methodist church right now. They're they're talking about splitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and and so, you know, these these organizations that have been built around belief, but have kind of probably lost focus on on what they exist why they exist and and uh and so the the hopeful thing that i hear you saying is that you know if we could just get back to the kernel of truth the kernel of of what of the belief that that is going to drive um this mission and it, and it can't just be 
um, disconnected from the heart. Like I think it has to be connected with experience. Like you were just saying, you're describing me too or, or something else. I mean, that is rooted in an experience. Unfortunately, it's a negative one, but, mm-hmm. but there was a, a collective experience that, that, that brought them together. And so, you know, just trying to, you know, you know, think as we're talking, you know, what type of experiences do you think could potentially um, create that same kind of energy with, with spiritual truth? Yeah. I think when people meet God for themselves, it's going to, it'll blow it up. It'll change everything. And I see it on my campus. I, I mean, it is unbelievable the things that young people are able to accomplish. This is the thing about God that people don't understand. I think a lot of times young people think, oh, if I get in this relationship with God, I'm going to have to lose all these, these fun things about myself. And it's like, God will have you out here living your best life. God will have you out here reaching your fullest potential like this. And once you really experience that for yourself, for me, once I experience God for myself, it is not good enough for just me to know. I am taking the entire neighborhood with me. I care about people. I think that if that should go hand in hand, right? If I have mm-hmm. a real legitimate experience with God, I should therefore want to extend that experience to my community around me. And so we have to, you know, I just think it's young people showing uh, showing this version of their Christian experience or their faith walk with other young people authentically, um, without, unfortunately, I think like necessarily an institution around it, right. just a natural, authentic display of who I am. And I say this while knowing that there are so many young people who are already doing it. Mm-hmm. I see it every day. There are so, I mean, I have so many students that are active in community outreach that are at, I mean, and it's their faith is what's driving them to do these things, even though it might be that they're working in inner cities, just doing a basketball camp, right? It's not about basketball. It's their faith that is driving them to want to reach people in the language that they will understand and have it. That's all we need is all of us to collectively take our talents and efforts and reach people in areas that we understand. And we know that this community will understand as well, but we need to do it collect- collectively. Mm. And I think that energy uh, is contagious, right? So like, it's so you know, contagious. the, <laughs> you know, and, and most of us who are pastors, uh, unfortunately, you know, we get to pastor churches where that age group that you're describing is, I know. is missing, um, yeah. you know, for a large degree, you know, for, and there's good reasons for that. Um, and, and, and yet, um, you know, that, that is, um, you know, when, when we think about like, at least here in Daytona beach, you know, we, we have these discussions and, and, and we're always talking about, like, how do we engage, you know, how do we unleash our, our young people? We have them. Um, and, and so, you know, I guess you're saying that uh, you're seeing it happen. Um, I see it happening in spurts. Um, and I and I and I want to see. But I do see when they when they do get active, man, it, it energizes everybody else. Like everybody else wants to go and support them. Everybody wants to go and. And, uh, and participate with them, at least here at Daytona. Um, so, so that goes back to the whole mentoring thing, right? So, so they, yes. that if they don't have that, um, stability coming from somewhere, then have you seen that it, it tends to be sporadic as well? Is that, is the mentoring essential to try to, 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 to make it consistent? 
mentoring is totally essential. And here, let me say this, if there happens to be any pastor listening and you're wondering, how do I get young people? You let them lead. I promise you it is that simple. My husband and I are at a church for the average age of 65. We started a Saturday night service called Re-Envision Change. Um, and I'm a speaker. I travel around and that's what I do. I do not speak. I have my my students. They come and speak. We have over, we've had about 100 people showing up that do not attend our church because, and all I did was I told them, hey, can you sing? Hey, can you do a slam poetry? Hey, can you play this instrument? Hey, can you preach? When they are in charge, it's beautiful. It, it minimizes my work. All I do is empower them. And then you know what they do? They invite all their friends. And then when their friends come, they take videos of them and they post it on social media. And then the next week we have more people come. And then the next people, I mean, I had a girl the other day that was, she did a slam poetry thing at our Re-Envision Change. And, and these are not Adventists, right? And they're coming to an Adventist church to do this. And she said that she was in the cafeteria and this guy came up to her and we're like, hey, were you the girl on Instagram that just did that poem at that Re-Envision event? Like, Social media is our best tool. If we would get out of the way and mentor them, right? And then step back and let them lead. I promise you, they will bring their friends. Wow. If, if, if they're not coming, it's because they're not seeing themselves represented up there. Well, I'm so fascinated by what you just shared. Like, so, so basically you guys just, is this, is this happening actually at the church itself? Yeah. And and you mm-hmm. basically in and what you do it in the evening? What yep. what 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 evening do you guys do it? Friday night, Saturday night? What we do it Saturday night because most of the people that are coming go to church on Sunday, uh-huh. right? And so tons of Sunday churches are doing Saturday night services, um, mm-hmm. and so it's not a weird thing for them. So we do it Saturday night, and it, we have had over a hundred people showing up, and we've only done it five times. We do one a month. We've done it. I don't know. I think this is like our fifth one that's going to be coming up in February. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, that right there is inspiring because um, I, I, we do a, a young adult uh, gym night at our church and we've, it's kind of been similar. They, they do invite all their friends and uh, you know, we end up getting a, a group where like more than half of our, our group out there is, is uh, I don't even think they're, they're Christian. I mean, some of them are Muslim. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. we have a woman out there wearing a, um, I always forget how to pronounce it. Hijab or hijab. Hijab, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and 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 it's just great. There's just this energy and fellowship. But what you're saying is, hey, hey, give like do something like that in the church where you just say, hey, you guys just creatively come together and share and and you've seen uh, that really energize that age group in in your um, in your local church. The especially because where I'm at, most of these most of these kids are going to mega churches in Denver. There's tons of them and they're not ever able to be up front. So when I'm saying, Hey, I'm going to give you this space to sing. You better believe they're going to show up and sing and take videos and post online and invite their friends. It's, it's, if we would just allow, if we would just empower ever other people instead of always trying to overpower things because of what we think it says about us, if we would get out of the way and let them lead, we would have a revival. I believe this in my soul. I tell anybody who asks me, listen, you guys, I found the girl that um, started that I first got because there was like no young people to even sing. And so I went on Twitter. I found a girl on Twitter that I had never met in my life. And I asked her if she would, I found her video of her singing. I said, hey, would you like to come sing at our church? 
she brought her boyfriend and he started playing guitar for her. And then they started bringing their parents and then they started bringing their cousins. And now we have a whole band of these. Fa- I mean, literally the music is fantastic because I asked one girl on a hashtag on Twitter if she would come to our church. I mean, it is like, it's, I'm not going to say it's like super easy, but if you would just invite people and allow them to then take ownership, you would see a difference. Wow. That's really inspiring. I mean, I'm, I'm personally like, well, I'm going to, I'm taking notes. I'm going to, this makes me so excited. (laughs) Cause I mean, cause I work kind of in that, you know, and this is just speaking from, from my pastoral side, uh, you know, we're, we've been in this journey, you know, which, you know, we've been reading growing young and, and we've been trying to do some things, but what you're just sharing, yeah, I think is the next step. And, and I think, yeah, I'm going to talk to you in six months and let you know how it goes. Cause I really, cause I want to, I want to do that. And I think we can, I think we have the, I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just personally happy now. Just, just this conversation has been really inspiring. And so, you know, as we kind of wrap it up, um, you know, you kind of are talking about, you know, the hope, that really lies in in the youth and so they're not um you know they may not look and and act and talk like what we're used to um seeing in the church but um you know what gives you the most hope as you look forward um and uh, what encouragement can you give to someone who's who's wrestling with with some of these issues you know um that we've talked about you know just kind of as as a closing thought what what would you say the, the hope that I have is that the greatest, I believe, I believe God is coming back soon just based on what I see happening in the world. Australia is on fire. The United mm-hmm. States is in a great panic right. right now. Talk to anybody from Latin American countries. Their governments are being totally corrupted. Like this is happening widespread all over the world right now. So all the signs are there. And here's why I have hope. And here's why I'm inspired. The greatest intellect of all time. Had you be born at this specific moment in earth's history that's not a coincidence you could have been born whenever he i I think it's like 500 million at so like at um conception there's like 500 million other options had you not gotten there first Mm. the only reason each of us is sitting here is because in the first race we ever ran we we beat 499 million that is half a billion other people who perhaps would have looked like us talked like us maybe would have essentially been brothers and sisters to us had we not gotten there first god had half a billion other options and here we sit you are kidding me if you think that that was not intentional this is the greatest intellect of all time you came into this world a champion don't you dare start believing that you are a loser now he has a mission that is specific for you and you are not just a person you are a plan so i'm encouraged because i trust god and he chose you so what can i do to empower you and make you see that in yourself that is my goal is to stand in that gap how do i help you to realize everything that the devil is hoping that you will never realize about yourself and that's what mentorship is about Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. Our goal in this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him. Knowing Jesus is everything. And that is why we spent the time today talking about how to mentor Generation Z to change the world with Dr. Heather Thompson Day. But don't just take our word for it. Go out and change the world yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com. 
where you can find the show notes and transcripts from all of our previous episodes. Also, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Or better yet, leave a rating and review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from. It really makes a difference. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to seeing you back here again on our next episode of Adventology. Until then, Maranatha. Maranatha.